Turn in your Bibles, and you can go ahead and open them just to Philippians chapter 2. Okay, Philippians chapter 2. We'll get to it in a little bit. Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing, of course, our study in, uh, of what we're calling in SBI this semester. We're calling it the, the 412 Christian life. We're seeing truths that help us to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the plan. Now, you know, I noticed this. I noticed my own life. I mean, I can do all the teaching in the world and do all the, know everything in the world, but if you don't, don't apply it, it doesn't help a whole lot. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We always said, what's the purpose of the study of the Bible? A lot of people say the study of the Bible is to know it. No, the purpose, the goal of the study of the Bible is what? Application, exactly. So what are our goals? We have some goals here to walk worthy of our what? Our calling. Our calling is children of God. We're, we're children of God. We're saints. We're that kind of thing. Second, we want to have victory over what? Sin in our lives. We want to have victory over sin in our lives. And then the third thing is we want to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So when we think about our goals, we want to walk worthy of the call in which we've been called. We're called children of God. We want to have victory over sin in, in our lives. And we want to be like Jesus Christ. We want to be conformed to the image of Christ. And the, and the goal is ultimately to bring glory to Him in our lives. We've seen a lot in the study. We divide it into two big parts. The first part is the first five lessons, which we call foundations. The second part's called the details. And that's a little bit more uh, different information, but uh, different ways to put it together. We've already seen in lesson one the change. The change that happens the moment we trust in Jesus Christ as Savior we're placed in Christ then we're regenerated the Holy Spirit comes to live in us we're a new person all those things then we talked about our growth and how we can become like Christ then we talk about our walk and we called it a worthy walk we called it a walk of faith we called it a, a you know walk of faith uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God we've seen all those and then last week we basically talked about the power the power of the Holy Spirit in us and and now tonight we're going to look at results and, and what we're saying, what are we like? What are we like when we live in God's power? What are we supposed to be like as we have victory and mature? And, and I think it's a challenge. It's definitely a challenge for me because I look at my life and I say, well, I'm not anything like I'm supposed to be. You know, and so the goal is that we would see this, make application in our lives and those kind of things. So uh, l l let me say it this way. After I trusted Christ, and, and I think most of us all would feel the same way, is we decided, we said, listen, I want to live for Christ. I mean, I, I want to do what he wants me to do. I realize he's given me eternal life. I think one of the things that people misunderstand is when you talk about grace, and what does a person have to do to have eternal life? Believe. Believe. And it's grace through faith. It's not works. What do we have to do to keep our eternal life? Nothing. And so when you tell people you're saved and saved forever, a lot of people say, well, then you'll just live any way you want to. If you understand grace, will you live any way you want to? If you understand grace, you'll say, Lord, I want my life to count for you after all you've done for me. I didn't do, I mean, I'm sinful and fallen, and you take me, and you've saved me forever. Uh, what should I do? I want to live for you. That's, that's the thing. And so uh, most believers feel this way, that we would like to live for Christ. But uh, some of us grow, and some of us don't. And we don't talk about that. Maybe sometime we'll just bring up the idea of why do you think some people grow and some people don't. And, and we saw in some of the lessons that there are really two types of people. They're the what? Unbelievers and believers. Unbelievers are called, and if you want to write out beside it, the, the natural man. They're called the natural man in the Bible. They're also called the soulish man. Uh, suke is the Greek word for soulish. And, uh, it, and it has the idea, we get psyche from it. It's the, the, the soul of a person. We talked about uh, a man is supposed to have a body, soul, and the, you know, the original creation, body, soul, and spirit. But uh, unbeliever has a body and a soul and, of course, conscience and all that kind of stuff. The believers are those who have trusted Christ. And then when we think about believers, there's really two aspects of believers. There's spiritual believers, which are controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then there's fleshly believers, which are controlled by the 
what? Flood of the flesh. Yeah, by the, the, the bent to sin. Um, sometimes they're called carnal. And that idea is this fleshly. The goal, of course, is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and the ultimate goal at the bottom there, the goal is maturity. And remember, we threw it out. Can a, can a new believer be spiritual? Can a new believer be mature? No, it takes time. It takes time. So our ultimate goal is that we'd be mature people, that mature believers growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That's, that's kind of the thing that we really want to do. So we, we thought about this. And the end goal of the Christian life is a spiritually mature believer. And so as we think about our lesson tonight, what do we look like? What are we supposed to be? What is a spiritually mature believer? There used to be an old saying, think about this, that if you got arrested for being a Christian, would there be any evidence? You know, and that's kind of a joke thing, but saying, do, do you live it out? Do you live out who you are? Do you live as one who belongs to Jesus Christ? Do we live like someone who is trusted in Christ? And, and, and when we start talking that way, the, I want to raise a question, because there are people who say things like this. What is a Christian supposed to look like? And can we tell by lifestyle is a person, if a person is a Christian? And there are people who will just take, automatically they'll say, you'll know them by their... Fruits, and it's, that's plural there, and that's not talking about knowing somebody's whether they're saved, whether they're saved or not. In fact, that passage is dealing with false prophets, and they'll tell you, they'll, he's saying, you'll know the false prophets by their fruits, and their fruits is not their lifestyle. And so that whole passage doesn't match at all what people want to say. So the question I've got there, can we tell if somebody's a Christian by lifestyle? The answer is what? Now, you can't tell, because a person could be an unbeliever and living good, and you could look at them and say, they're really a good person, they must be a Christian. Or they could be a Christian who's living in the flesh, and a Christian living in the flesh looks just like a what? Just like a non-Christian does, because a non-Christian lives in the flesh, and a Christian can live in the flesh. If a Christian's living in the flesh, who do they look like? They look like a non-believer. So the problem is you can't look at lifestyle. In fact, uh, the only way you can really tell is by what they say. If a person says, I have put my faith in Christ as my Savior, you could say, well, best I can tell is by what they say. They're a Christian. Not by how they live, because they could live bad or they could live good. So when people say, uh, how do Christians supposed to look? Well, a real Christian wouldn't do this. Well, let me ask you something. What did King David do? <coughs> we know he's great. He was a man after God's own heart, and he killed, he killed Goliath. But what else did he do that was on the bad end? Committed murder and adultery. So if you want to look at a lifestyle and say, there's a guy that commits murder and adultery, okay, a real Christian wouldn't do that. A real Christian's capable of what? What did Moses do, by the way? Moses killed a man, hit him in the sand, right? So when, what did Peter do? Denied Christ three times, right? Right when the heat of the action came on, just after he'd already said to Jesus, I will, I will, I will be willing to die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, well, yeah, right. But then, then when it came down to it, so we're all capable of blowing it big time. And so when people say, can you tell if somebody's a Christian by their lifestyle? No. Can you tell if somebody's a Christian by their message? The answer is yeah. You can tell. That's about the only way you can tell. If I said to you, if you said, JB, let's say that you see me and I'm living really a good life. You could say, he must be a what? Christian. But if you came to me and said, JB, are you a Christian? And I said, oh yeah, yeah, why? Well, because, you know, I've tried to live a good life. In fact, I've tried to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, I'm not a, that's not being a Christian. A Christian's one who's trusted in Christ as Savior. I mean, if you'd have seen me at 19 years old before I trusted Christ, you would have thought I was a Christian because I lived a good life. I did all the right stuff. In fact, in the eighth grade, 
They, we had to read the charge of the light brigade. Anybody know that story? Into the valley of hell rode the 600, the word hell. And the teacher asked me to read it, and I wouldn't say hell because I, I thought hell was a bad word. And so she said, read that, please, James. I was called James. I said, into the valley, and I wouldn't say it, and everybody laughed. And she said, you need to say that. And I said, I'm not going to say that word. I mean, I thought hell was a bad word because that's like damn and hell. You're not supposed to say those words. So I'm going to live a good life to get to God. So you may think, gosh, that little guy over there is such a nice guy. He's probably a Christian. I wasn't. So you can't go by lifestyle. You can't go by any of that. It's... You go by what they say. Well, how are we to live? Matthew five sixteen says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your what? Good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. We're to glorify God in our lives. Now, you can't tell if a person's a Christian by lifestyle or not, only by method. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to live bad or live good? What are we? We're supposed to live good. Let's think about it. Now, I've got a lot of different things to sort of put together in this lesson because what we're talking about is what do we look like? What are we supposed to be like as children of God? Okay, because that's what we've been looking at, the 412 Christian life. So three aspects God wants us to be like. I'm going to give you three of them, and then we'll go into the details. The first one is humility. When you start getting to the bottom line, what does he want us to be like? Number one, he wants humility. Number two, he wants love. And number three, he wants faithfulness. Now, I want us to think about those three things for just, just a little bit. If you want to be characterized as a child of God in a fallen world, if you come across with humility, love, and faithfulness, that's a key. Let's talk about humility. I told you to turn to Philippians chapter 2. Look, look, uh, uh, wait a minute, have I got the right verse? Two, yeah. Two, three, and four. Yeah, yeah. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with what? Humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. The bottom line, first of all, is humility. What what do we consider the opposite of humility? Arrogance. Huh? Arrogance or pride? What caused the fall of man? What caused the fall of Satan? What's the, what what probably characterizes almost any sin? Why would you why would you steal? Because I want it, right? That's a, I deserve this. Uh, why would you commit adultery? Why would you lie? Why, would you, why, why do you lie if your boss came up to you and you were supposed to make a phone call and you didn't, and your boss said, did you get Mr. Johnson? You say, no, I wasn't able to get him yet. You never even made the call. Why do you lie? Because pride. You don't want to look bad. You don't want to say, well, I didn't do what you told me to do. I mean, so pride kind of is the overarching sin aspect. Well, the opposite of pride is what? What's the opposite of pride? Humility. Humility. This is it. This is, the, this is the one. And I want you to think about, I've got some verses there for you to think at. Think about it. Let me just read some of them to you. Proverbs 11, 2 says this, because the Bible talks about humility. It says, when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. So humility is wisdom. Humility comes wisdom. He actually has when pride comes, then it's the contrast. Proverbs 29 verse 23 says, A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Humility, wisdom, and honor. Pride, of course, 
takes a little. But Psalm 25, verse 9, he leads the humble in justice, and he teaches the humble his way. Humility. And then, of course, most of you know Micah 6, verse 8. He has told you, old man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Anybody know what the Lord requires? Think about this. What, here's a verse that says, what does God require of you? Do How many of us know it? What is it? Okay, say it again. To do what? Justice. Look, right here. What else? Love, love and kindness. Yeah. And what? And to walk humbly. Humility. So... What does God really want? That's humility, isn't it? Because humility is opposite of pride. D.L. Moody said this. He said, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life thinking he was something. He spent the next 40 years of his life learning he was nobody. And he spent the last 40 years of his life learning what God can do with a nobody. And see, the moment we get to the point where we realize, listen, Lord, I'm grace of God, I'm just alive, do whatever you want to with me. When you get to that point, he can use you. But if you say, I know you're really going to be glad to use me, it's sort of like, I I know you're glad I'm on your team. God could say, I I don't need you on anything. You know, I love it when the nation of Israel were bringing false, they were bringing all these sacrifices for the wrong reason, and God said, do you think I need any of that stuff? I got the cattle on a what? thousand hill i don't need your stuff does god need us to pray does god need us to serve him he doesn't he can do anything he wants humility 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 is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less it's just thinking of yourself less it's not so much thinking about yourself so humility is the first one think about this um what's what's the one thing that that drives you crazy uh, in some other people. It's the arrogance and pride, isn't it? Arrogance and pride that come out. And, that's, and we look at that and we go, oh, that person, what an idiot. You know, that's kind of what you think because, I mean, that's the way it is. And it's always bothered me is to see athletes uh, when something good, they do something great and somebody interviews them and they talk about how, yeah, you know, I've really trained hard. I've really done this. I've, I've been really trying hard. It's been, this is, you know, this is something I'm wanting to, you know. They, and then someone will say, i got the greatest teammates in the world. So just look at them the next time. See which one says what. So the second one. The first one is humility. What's the second one? Love. Oh, man. Jesus said you shall love what? God and love others. That's it. I mean, we know he changed it a little bit later and made it a little bit different. But uh, the second thing is love. We want to be characterized by humility, but we want to be characterized by love. Now, love is not a feeling. Love is an action. Love has feelings with it, you know. But love is not a feeling. If it's a feeling, it comes and goes. How many of you have feelings that come and go? Yeah, yeah. If, if, how can you say, I love you, for, for as long as I live? You could have to say, well, if my feelings are there, I'll do that. No, that love isn't a feeling. Love has feelings with it, connected with it. But God says, love God, love others. That's what Jesus told the men. He said, show love. In John 13, a new commandment I give you. Now, what's the old commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and love your neighbor as what? As yourself. What's the new commandment? 
A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you. As much as we love ourselves, he loves us even more than we love ourselves. That's hard to imagine, but it's true. Love. Characterized by love. What is 1 Corinthians 13? But the greatest of these is love. And so we want to be characterized by love, humility, and one more. And this is, this is I think, one of the great ones too. And it's faithfulness. Faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 more, brethren, is required of stewards to be found faithful. Trustworthy, as some Bibles do it trustworthy, but it means to be faithful. The idea of showing up, doing what you're supposed to do, faithful. In Matthew 25, Jesus is going to say what? Well done, what? Good and faithful servant. What do we want to hear him say? Well done, good and faithful servant. When we stand before him, we would love for him to say, you were like Moses, because he calls Moses the most humble man on the face of the earth. That's what, you, that's what God said. Moses is humble, and who shows love, and who is faithful. So what do we want to be? What do we want to look like? When we, the Bible talks about let our light shine. Let us be uh, light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in the world. How do we do that? As we live our lives as, with humility, with love, and faithfulness. That's, that's the key. And that's what's going to be. That's what's going to come out. And so I just want you to think about that. Now, let's talk about living the Christian life. And I think that there are what I call two incorrect views and one correct view. And I've heard most of these most of, you know, most of my life as a Christian. The first incorrect view is let go and let God. You ever heard that? Just let go and let God. How do you live the Christian life? You just let go and let God. What does that mean? It means you don't do anything. God does it all. If you're going to witness, he's going to bring somebody to you. I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta kind of sit back and just see who God brings in your life, or, or, or and, and that that's a very passive Christianity. The second view, which I think is also wrong, is do it now. You do it. You do it. The key is us. It's sort of like the Nike. Just do it. But nothing wrong with that. But the idea is that I'm going to be the one to do it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. And the third one really is the balance. It's God and us. It's really, the Christian life is not me doing it. It's not just God doing it. It's me and God doing it. And I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's us with His power. Look at, uh, listen to Philippians. Just look at verse, listen to verse 12. Let's, oh, you are in Philippians already, right? Look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, as he writes, he says, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, and he's talking to the believers at Philippi, and he says, you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, not just when I was there, but now even in my absence, you're still obeying God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So verse 12 put, work out your salvation. Now, I've had so many people come up to me and go, I thought salvation was a gift. This says, work out your salvation. And a lot of people think it means work for your It doesn't say work for your salvation. It says, work it out. We're a saved person on the inside we're a child of God. We're supposed to let that what go. Out. Do, do you, what did I did I mess up? Oh, it's supposed to be two. There's no flipping. Do we have a type of? Okay, yeah. Y'all tell me if there's an error on it. Let me let me. Yeah, it's supposed to be Philippians two. There is no twenty-two. Everybody knows that. Philippians two verses twelve and thirteen. The first part is work out your salvation, meaning let go from with the inside to the outside. How are we on the inside? 
We're children of God. We're new creations in Christ. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. What are we supposed to do? Let that work to the outside. In other words, live out who we are. Who does that? Notice what he says. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So on one side, who does the working out? We do. But look at the next verse. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. So verse 13 says God is working in and through you. The Christian life is a dual aspect of you basically saying to God, take me and use me for your glory. And you're working out who you are, a child of God on the inside out. That, and, and we'll talk more about that idea. But that's really what it's all about. Now, tied in with that, and when you get to the top of the next page, this will kind of help us. Because what we realize is this. We're different people, and we got to be different, and we got to let, let out what's inside of us come out and live in a righteous, godly way. So he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works on you, both the will and the work of his good pleasure. So there's a foundation for this to happen. And there are two famous verses. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. There are two verses that are the foundations. And Hebrews, tw- uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 basically says, uh, offer our lives in service to God. Number one at the top is offer our lives in service to God. Now, there are a lot of people who are confused because they don't know the gospel like we do. They don't understand the grace message of salvation. And there are many people who teach in order to be saved, you give your life to Jesus to serve him. You make him the Lord. You say, oh, Lord, I agree to serve you and I'll be saved. It's called Lordship Salvation. It's works for salvation. And I want you to notice if you read the verse, and let me quote it for you. Paul uh, Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He's writing to who? Christians. He's telling Christians to offer their lives as living sacrifices. You're not offering your life to become a Christian. You're offering your life as a Christian. Most of you know I told you my story. I trusted Christ when I was 19 years old. I did not start growing as a Christian until I was 26. I did not offer my life to God in service until I was 26 years old. So I trusted Christ at 19, but I said to him, I want you to take my life when I was about 25 or 26. That passage says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to your bodies as a living holy sacrifice acceptable God with your spiritual service of worship then he goes on and says and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed so not be conformed but be transformed the word conformed means to be shaped we're not to be shaped by the world but we're to be transformed by the word of God and the word transformed has to be changed from the inside out that's what we're supposed to do transformed by the renewing of our mind as we take the word of God and we put it in our brains and we're being shaped and conformed and transformed. Now, you've heard me say this and usually I put this in a study. I'd, I should have put this in this study. I have a saying that says this, if you're not consciously being transformed by the word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. If you're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, you will unconsciously be conformed to this world. Because there are many, many Christians who are being shaped and pushed by the world every day and don't even realize it's happening. Because they're not being transformed by the Word of God. So the first foundation thing is you just offer your life. 
Now, let me just say this. Our, our church is so unique that the people who come to our church, uh, they're coming primarily because they want to, they love the people and they want to study the Bible and they want to grow and they agree with the grace message and those kind of things. And, and you know, so y'all are unique people. And if you actually started going down and saying, how many of you, and I don't want you to raise your hand or do anything, but if I said, how many of you in this room have said to God at one point, I want my life to count for you. I will go anywhere. I'll do anything you want me to do. Now, let me just say, that's a huge step because that's not salvation. That's dying to yourself. Salvation is a gift and costs you nothing. Discipleship is not a gift. It's you sacrificing your life for Jesus Christ. I would say that we have many people in this room and in our church who have said, I give you my life. I want to live for you. I'll go anywhere you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's, and that's the key. And that's why the, the foundation for victory is you offer your life as a living sacrifice. And that's, that's the key. Now, the second big uh, paragraph or the second big verse there is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, where he says, uh, seeing we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, and here we go, I'll just give it to you, the big number two, big number two is keep your focus on Christ. Keep the focus on Jesus Christ. Keep the focus on Christ. So one is offer your life. The second one is keep your focus on Christ. Because you're running a race, aren't you? You know, we talked about a boxing match and a running a race and everything. In this passage, he says, I beseech you, brother, by the mercy of God. Uh, I mean, sorry, he says, seeing we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses. He says, lay aside anything that slows you down. Lay aside anything that slows you down. And that's both good and bad. You may say, what are you talking about? Well, we all know that doing something wrong slows you down from being a Christian and growing and, and making, a, making an impact. But there can be some good things that you do that slows you down. If you said, I would like to come to church on Sunday, but that's the day that I sail my sailboat. Well, selling a sailboat's not bad. In fact, selling a sailboat's fun and good. But if you don't go to church anymore because you're selling your sailboat, then that's something you need maybe to lay aside. Uh, he says, lay aside every encumbrance and run with what? Endurance. Day after day. First time, I, I, I'm not a long, long distance runner, never have been. I mean, it, it's everything I do to go the 5K. I mean, I, that's, you know, I, that's, when I'm through with that. The last time I ran it, I, I ran in and I was doing this right here, and this pretty little person came over, and I thought she was going to congratulate me. And she said, Are you okay? I said, I'm fine. She said, Do you mind moving out of the way? I went, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I'm not a distance runner, uh, and I ran a distance race when I was in college once. We, a bunch of guys, we decided we were going to run, and, and the longest I've ever run without stopping is 9.1 miles around White Rock Lake in Dallas and stuff like that. But when you're running, especially distance, it's step after step after step after step after step, and you get where you say, I just don't think I can keep going. you got to keep going. Well, that's the Christian life. Run the race with what? Endurance. Endurance. Looking at who? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Must keep the focus on Christ as we run the race. Uh, you know, I, I, I want to say this. Uh, you've heard me tell this, this, this illustration before, but it's so true. As we go through the Christian life, we have to keep our focus on Christ. Or else everything else will just it'll take us away. I always think of Peter. Peter's in the boat. The guys are in the boat. Jesus had told them to go on across the Sea of Galilee. And they left at about 
oh, five o'clock in the evening. It is now three o'clock in the morning, and they're halfway across. There was a storm hit them. They're, they're, they're doing everything they can, and they're stuck in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. They should have been able to make it in about three hours. It has now been over nine hours, and they're in the middle, and they're about to die. And Jesus comes walking on the water. And if you read the story, it's almost funny the way he says it because it says Jesus, they saw Jesus, he sort of looked at them and then as if he was passing on by, like, how y'all doing? I know y'all not doing very good. And, and they started yelling at him and, and he said, don't be afraid, it's me. And Peter said, what did he say? If it's you, what? He said, command me to come out. And Jesus said, come out. So Peter starts walking on the water to Jesus. And then what happened? It said, then he looked at the wind and the waves and began to sink. If we live the Christian life, we keep the focus on Christ, we're going to be okay. But anytime we start looking at the circumstances, anytime we look at the wind, the waves, the goods, the bads, everything, and we take the focus off Christ, we're going to sink. And that's why we offer our lives as living sacrifices, and then we run the race with endurance, keeping the focus on Christ. And so that's that's. The key, and this is, this is what keeps us going. Now, with that in mind, now we've seen a bunch of things. We've seen that we're supposed to be people of humility and love and, and faithfulness. And we've talked about offering our lives and running the race and all these things. And what I want to do is th to finish out the lesson, there are four key areas that I want us to think about when we're thinking about this Christian life and the results of living out who we are. And the first, the four are, let me get the first one is the two powers the two powers. There are two powers we can live by. They're either what? The Holy Spirit or the flesh. You're exactly right. Okay, number, number one is the two powers. Number two is characteristics in our lives. What characteristics are in our lives? And you can, you can guess on what some of that might be. Okay, characteristics in our lives. The third one is our fellowship. The third one is our fellowship. And we're going to talk about it because our fellowship is with two different, two different things. Do you understand what it is? Fellowship with who? With God and fellowship with each other. Exactly. And then number four is maturity. Maturity. So that's the four things we're going to think about in this results thing as we go through the rest of the lesson. Now, as, I, as you look at the top of the next page... There's a mistake there, and it should, should say the two powers instead of just powers, okay? Or it says the power. I think it should say the two powers, okay? So correct that, and we'll get all this corrected for the next time we ever do this one. Uh, the two powers, though, if you think about it in Romans 8, let me read this to you. Just let me turn over there. There are actually two aspects, two powers, two things that are going on uh, there. And I want to read this. And Romans 8, verse 4 says, So that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled as those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So you've got two powers there. And, and one of them is, uh, there's really what we call the two, the two walks and the two minds. How do you walk? You can walk, two, put right in there, walk. Two walks, two minds. The two walks is the walk in the spirit of walk in the flesh. Look at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is what? What does it say? Anybody know? It's death. And the mind says, so there's two walks 
and two minds. There's two ways to think, two ways to walk. You can either think on the Spirit, and you'll walk in the Spirit. You can think on the flesh, you'll walk in the flesh. That's what we see. And there's... Yeah, that, we're going to get to it, but let me just throw it out real quickly. When you sin, the wages of sin is what? Yeah. Death. Death means what? Separation. And we're going to see in a minute there is, there is eternal. There's eternal death. There's spiritual death. There's temporal death. And, and, we're gonna, and there's more. And, but we, in this passage... When he says the mindset on the, on the flesh, on sin, is death, he's talking about a temporal death, he's talking about out of fellowship death. You understand that when we sin as a Christian, we die. Because we're now separated from who? We are. We're separated from him. Not in our relationship, but in our fellowship. That's exactly right. So we'll see it here in just a minute. So great, great point there, Roxy. That's great. Let's look at, let's look at the, the battle. And we got A, the flesh. Okay? The flesh. Oh man, when you when you think about uh, the flesh, uh, what is the results if we live by the flesh? Galatians five nineteen. Do you remember any? What comes out? Any? Can you remember anything? It's hard to memorize the nine fruit of the spirit, but there's a lot more than nine of the flesh. Can you remember anything that comes out when you live in the flesh? Hate, enmity, strife, adultery, fornication, lust, envy, anger. There's just all kind of things. In other words, just our normal lives. <laughs> and so think about it. That's the fruit, basically the, the, the deeds of the flesh, Galatians 5.19. But I want you to see something because I've heard people say that what God does is he takes, takes you and he cleans you up. That's not true. He doesn't, he doesn't clean you up. The flesh never gets cleaned up. The flesh is always against God. He makes us a new creation. You remember the drawing? Let me do this. You remember the drawing, and we got a body, and a soul, and a conscience, and a flesh. And the moment we trust Christ, we're spiritually alive, so we got the Spirit, and then we got the Holy Spirit. He doesn't, he doesn't clean us up. That's still there. The flesh lusts against spirit, spirit against the flesh. They're contrary one to another. I want you to see something in, in Romans chapter 8. Just flip, uh, hopefully you're right, maybe right in that area. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 7. It says, for the mindset of the flesh is what? Hostile to, toward God. First of all, write down, hostile to God. The, the, uh, and then it says, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, not even able to do so, not subject to God, and can't please God. It goes on to say, so those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The flesh, listen, is hostile to God, not subject to God, can't please God. So if you live in your flesh, you are hostile to God. So when you sin, when you're living in this, and when I'm living in this, when we're living this way, we're in hostility to God. And we can't please God. And we're not subject to God. You know what we're saying? I do my what? I do my own thing. I do my own thing. Anytime you sin, you're doing your own thing. I mean, anytime we sin, we say, I'm just going to do this. God says, don't do that. I, I'm going to do this. Well, God said, don't do that. That's what, I'm going to do this. Because that's what the flesh is. So the flesh is hostile to God, is not subject to God, and can't please God. I mean, so it's, it's really horrible what we are like in that sense. But let's talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, B. This is, this is the power, the other power. This is the other mind. This is the other walk, so to speak. 
And we got the, the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. And that's the product that comes out. If you go to the top of the next page, I've got where it says fruit of the Spirit. And I don't expect you to write them all down. In fact, just you don't have to write any of them down. But just think about it. Love is God's love. Joy deals with our fellowship. Peace Peace with God, patience and calmness and kindness, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness. And what is the last fruit of the Spirit? When you say, I couldn't help it, what are you saying? I'm not in the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that, that's, we just got to realize the fruit of the Spirit. And we, we could go over it. I actually had down that we might go through each one of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, of course, is God's love. And joy deals with our relationship and, and fellowship with God. Uh, listen, you can lose the joy of His salvation. I used to quote it wrong. I used to say, you don't want to lose the joy of your salvation. It's not our salvation, it's His salvation. He saves us. He's the, we can lose the joy connected with that. And peace, of course, peace. Have you ever thought about peace? You're an enemy with God before you're saved. And the moment you trust Christ, you have peace with God. And then when you're controlled by the Holy Spirit, you have the peace of God. God's peace in your life. And then patience and kindness, being good to people, faithfulness, gentleness. Gentleness just means not being harsh. It, it's so easy to be harsh, to, even to the people we love. Have you noticed that you'll treat a stranger better than you'll treat your, your family? Why do we do that? I don't know. Oh, I don't know why I do that. Uh, and then, of course, self-control. So summary there is when we live in the power of the Holy Spirit, we see the fruit of the Spirit rather than the deeds of the flesh. So, wow. Got two ways to go. When we get to Romans 6 and 7, man, you're going to hear me say the same thing about 40 times because it says it in that passage a whole bunch of times it says the same thing over and over. And if you could say, why is Paul doing that? Because he says, you've got to understand this. And so when we look at this, we've got to understand, you've got two ways to go, right? What are they? Walk in the fear and walk in the flesh. We can do either one. We can wake up every day and we can do anything. We can do whatever. And listen, when we're this way, this is what we're like. And when we're this way, it's the fruit. And this is what we want. We're going to see that this is unrighteousness and sin, and this is righteousness and holiness. And there's two different lives. Two di We're going to be light in the fallen world, or are we going to be darkness? Walk in the light as he is in the light. So let's talk about something and that you may have never looked at. I want you to look at Ephesians 5. Turn over there, because we all know that's sort of what Ephesians is about. And I want to show you characteristics that come out when you're filled with the Spirit. We already know that. Well, if you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have the fruit of the Spirit. But I want to show you something that you might not have ever looked at. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at verse 18. It's a very famous verse. What does it say? Therefore, do not get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but, but be what? And then when you're filled with the Spirit, what comes out? He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Look what you see. Number one, there's joy. Look what he says. What comes out? They're speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's called joy. And then what's the second one? Always giving what? 
thanks, being thankful for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not thankful, you ought to say, if you know, if I'm not thankful, I must not be in the, in the Spirit. Because the Spirit's thankful. The Spirit has joy. And then look at the last one, being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's humility. You can put being subject, have humility as we submit to each other. By the way, that verse says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then the next verse says, wives to your own husbands. And we all quote it as wives be what? Subject to your own husbands, but the word subject's not there. If you've got a Bible like mine, does your Bible have the word subject in italics? Hmm? It doesn't? Yes. Yours does? Anybody else have be subject to your own, to your husbands as under the Lord or whatever? Wives be subject? Submit? Does it say submit? Does it have, have it in italics? It doesn't? It's not there in the original language. That's why if you've got a New American Standard, which is a real Bible, um, <laughs> it, it'll, be, it'll be in italics because the word's not really there. And they, they've put it there because in the verse before it, it says, And be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. Wives, be to your own husbands. Be what to your own husbands? Be subject because it's in the verse before it. Okay. So that's humility. So what have we seen? We've seen the two powers. We've seen the characteristics. Let's talk about fellowship. And I just want you to see this real quickly. First John, turn on to the back of the Bible. By the way, First um, John, I think, is the hardest book in the New Testament. And if you're going to study a book, don't study First John. Okay? Not to start with. Because it's, it's a hard book. And it, it, the whole purpose of the book of First John is to show... Uh, the characteristics of those who are abiding in Christ, which is fellowship. But so many people look at 1 John, and they think it's talking about salvation, and it confuses a lot of people. But anyway, 1 John 1, 6 and 7, this is, uh, we'll just call it our fellowship. That's number three, our fellowship. And I want you to see, A, look what he says, 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, who's him? Who? We'd say Christ or Jesus. In the flow of the passage, talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and make our joy full. He says, this is the message we've heard from him, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, with God, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, what does that mean? Flesh. Flesh. Listen, we say, here's God and here's us. And we say, we're in fellowship with him, but we're walking in this. What does he say? If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we what? Lying. We're lying and not practicing the truth. Wow. So if you say, I'm doing okay, and you're not, you know what you're doing? You're lying. And so you've got to be in the light. And then look at the next verse. Because so A is with God, if you want to. That's just, A is with God, and to have fellowship with God, you've got to walk in the what? you got to walk in the light. Because the verse before says, This is the message we've heard from him announced to you that God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. Now in John, a lot of times John, who the writer is, he uses light and darkness as sin, darkness, and, and light is righteousness. And so he says, God is light, righteous, and in him there's no darkness, sin. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we are walking in darkness, sin, we're lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship who? With one another. So B is with each other. So how do we have fellowship with each other? We have to walk in the light. Walking in the light is living in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
walking in the light is righteousness and holiness and, and fruit of the Spirit and humility and love and all of these things. And walking in the darkness is hostility and, and sinfulness and unrighteousness and, and, and lying and everything else. And so what a, what a contrast we have. And so what, is, what do we want to show in our lives? Give me just an idea. What, as we sing, because we got one more little area that I want to touch on. But what do we want to be like in a fallen world? What do we want to look like? We want to look like light. What else? Huh? Okay, but what, is, what have we been looking at? Humility, love, joy, peace. Self-control, all of the fruit of the Spirit, all of the things you see in Ephesians, all of walking in the light, not lying, not being righteous, not being hostility to God, but loving Him and living for Him. All these things we need to come out as we seek to live for Jesus Christ. It's just, it's not, this is what He's saying to us. That's why when people see us, they ought to be able to tell that we're different. Now, as I said at the very beginning, can you look at somebody's lifestyle and determine if they're a Christian? No, you can't. But can you look at a person's lifestyle and see how they're living? The answer is, yes, of course. And how are they living? How are we supposed to live? With humility and joy and faithfulness and love and peace and patience and self-control and righteousness and life and love. and all. This is what we're supposed to be like. And if we're in the power of the Spirit, that's what we're going to be like. If we're in the power of the flesh, we're going to be this other thing. And that takes us to the last thing I wanted to just talk about, and that's the maturity aspect. And I want you to turn to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4 through uh, 11 through 16 is probably one of the most important passages in our church because we talk about our church and we say our purpose is to what? What's our purpose? Make disciples. What's our plan? To equip the saints, do the ministry, build up the body. And what's our process? Gathered and scattered. Okay, that, you, you know that. This is what it's all about. Well, the second part is, is Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. But I want you to see this because the bottom line is that's maturity. That's what we're looking for. Notice he says in verse 11, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, some as pastors, teachers. So, so that's he gave some as spiritual gifts. Why? To equip the believers to do the ministry to build up the body of Christ. Who does the ministry? Who does the equipping? We, we equip one another with the different gifts, talents, abilities that God's given us. We equip each other to do the ministry so the body of Christ can grow spiritually and... If you grow spiritually, most likely you may grow what? Numerically. You might. You might not. You might just have a bunch of spiritual people and stay the same number. But most of the time when people are spiritual and growing, they're reaching out and leading other people to Christ and bringing them in. And so there's a numerical growth sometimes. Not always, but de definitely uh, spiritual growth. And then he says, until we all obtain to unity, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a what? To a mature person to the measure stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, verses 14, 15, and 16 is going to describe what we call maturity. Look what he says in verse 14. As a result, we are no longer what? Children, Children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by, by crafty of men, uh, by, by crafty, uh, trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Listen, you know, I'm going to tell you how you know if you're growing and maturing. When somebody can teach you something or somebody you can hear something and you can say, that's not right. 
That's not right. If I got up and I said, listen, I want you all to know that in order to be saved, you need to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, and make a public profession. You know what you'd say to that? That's what? That's not right. You know that. And, and th but if you said, well, that sounds okay. You know, a person who is not mature, not growing, is tossed back and forth by every window doctor. There was a person in our church that's been years ago, and this is when, uh, and they came up to me one day, and they said, you know, JB, I, I come to church, and I hear you say that salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, and then I go, and I hear John MacArthur say, you need to offer your life, and you need to make him the Lord of your life, and you deserve, and so when I hear you say it, that sounds right, and when I go there and hear him say it, that sounds right, and so they go in what? Back and forth. I said, you're going to have to decide what you believe. You're going to have to study the Scripture. You're going to have to get to a point where you know what you believe. And when John MacArthur says something, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to follow it and believe it. Or if JB says something, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to know what you believe and why. So it says, no longer children tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. So when you get to the point where you can say, I know what I believe, and when I hear something that I don't believe is right, I can say, that's not right, okay? So one of the aspects is no longer children, in verse 14, going back and forth. But look at verse 15. But what? Speaking the truth in love, we grow up. Speaking the truth in love. It's not very easy to speak the truth is it sometimes because there's a lot of people who don't have the truth and if you tell them the truth it makes them mad so you have to speak the truth what in love and that means you got to love them enough to tell them and you got to tell them in the right way and you can't just say oh i'm not going to say anything i mean what if what if your next door neighbor was uh, a little old lady who maybe didn't have many more years to go and you went over to see her and you brought her some food and you sat down and talked with her and somehow it came up and thought about salvation, and she said, well, I hope I get to go to heaven when I die. And you said, well, I, you know, I can show you. And she says, well, I just think that if, if you do good, the more you good you do, and I've tried to live a good life, I'm going to be okay. And what if you said, well, Miss Johnson, you know, I wish her love you. Wait a minute. I thought you love her. You, you, you're going to sell her? You're going to let her go to hell? But you got to speak the truth in what? In love. And so one of the aspects of maturity is not only not being a child tossed back and forth by everyone to doctrine, but speaking the truth in love, you grow up. And then in verse 16, which is one of my favorite, he goes on to say, The whole body is fitted and held together by every joint according to the proper working of each individual part. Maturity comes when every body uses their gifts so each person each person serving and using their gifts how many of you have ever heard of the Pareto rule that's the rule 80 20 y'all know that rule 80 20 rule yeah 20 percent of the people do 80 percent of the work 20 percent of the people who give give 80 percent of the giving 20 percent of the of of your Business makes 80% of your profit. I mean, the Pareto rule works in almost every aspect. And it's true that even in a normal church like ours, great church, probably 20 to 25% of the people give almost every bit of the money. In a normal church, let me just throw this out just as far as the giving, because we talked about it last Sunday morning for a second. Did you know in a normal church, and I don't know, I don't know our church, I don't know who gives, I don't know. And I haven't sat down with Brian and said, give me some figures. I'm not talking about names. But in a normal church... In the United States, half the members have never given to their church and never will give to their church. Half the members. 
the other half of the other half, 20% of the other half give almost everything that's given, and 80% give just barely any. That's just the way it, that's the way it is. You go in a, a business and you start looking at companies and they realize that 20% of their products give them 80% of their income. Happens all the time. You, you look at people and you say, who does the most work? Well, about 20% of the people do almost everything here. That's the way it is. I wish it wasn't that way and I wish that everybody in the body of Christ would take their gifts, talents, and abilities and serve. But if you notice, people say, we don't have enough nursery workers. We don't have enough people to work over here. We don't have enough people to do this. We say, hey, we need a, we got a church cleanup. We need some people to come, and 12 people come out of 400. Why? Uh, we need people to work in the nursery. Well, we just, we're trying. we got lists, but we just can't. You know, Some people have to go twice, or some people have to go once every it, Because you've got 80% of the people who say, so where, where do we take the gifts? the talents, the abilities that we have. And we all come to maturity and say, how can I plug in and touch lives for Jesus Christ? So, where are you serving? Think about it. And then always have to be at the church. You can be serving and touching lives in the community. It's, we're talking about using your gifts, talents, and abilities to touch lives for Christ. So the goal is no longer be children going back and forth, but speaking the truth in love, grow up, every person working. And it goes on to say that each person causes the growth of the body for the building of itself up in love. Wow. So what do we want to look like? So summary, i got a little summary there for you, and let's think about it, and time is up, so let's go through it, because I had somebody tonight said, don't you go over, I said, okay, I won't, I try not to, okay, number one, may we be known by our love, humility, and faithfulness, may we be known by our love, humility, and faithfulness, wouldn't it be great if everybody said, oh, that's the lovingest people I've ever seen, Oh, they're just the humblest people I've ever seen. Oh, they just, they're faithful. If they say they're going to do something, they do it. That's us. Love, humility, and faithfulness. Okay? Number two, may we live by the power of the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. May we live by the power of the Holy Spirit and not the flesh. Number three, the deeds of the flesh are sinfulness and the fruit of the Spirit is is love, joy, peace, and more. So you could write it down. The deeds of the flesh are sinfulness, and the fruit of the Spirit is, and you can put down love, joy, peace, patience, whatever you want to put out. You could even put the fruit of the Spirit as the character of God, because that's what it is. Yeah, the deeds of the flesh are sinfulness, and the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and, and more. Okay, <clears throat> number four. <clears throat> May we offer our lives as living sacrifices in service to God. May we offer our lives as living sacrifices in service to God. Think about that. You get to take your life and say to God, would you use me for your glory? What could be, more, what could be greater than that? Nothing. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I say it's God's character. If you want to put that down, yeah, because that's what it is. Yeah. 
Because who 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 produces the fruit of the Spirit? Holy Spirit. Who's the Holy Spirit? God. <laughs> so that's why it's that way. Number five is a touch long, so let me read it, and then we'll decide how we want to write it down. I've got, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can have joy and thankfulness and humility and fellowship with God and one another. So just say, as we're filled with the Spirit, we can have joy and fellowship with God and others. That, that puts it a little shorter. I just want you to understand that fruit of the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, there's joy and fellowship with God and others. So as we're filled with the Spirit, we can have joy and fellowship with God and others. Number six is, may we grow and mature to become like Christ. May we grow and mature to become like Christ. We have seen the first five. And we got what's, what is left? Nine? Nine and five is 14? Yeah. We have nine more lessons. You realize that in two weeks we'll be halfway through with the whole class. Just almost hard to believe how fast it goes. And we've seen the change and the growth and the walk and the power and the results. And so the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we would be people who look like Jesus Christ. So our memory verse is Galatians 5, 22 and 23.